If you'd open your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, I'll begin reading at verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. You know, as I was looking at these scriptures and was thinking about what we could study as we're looking at Palm Sunday and then Good Friday, thinking about the death of our Lord, and then thinking next week about Easter and Resurrection Sunday. And I was thinking, we only have a short period of time for each of these. And One of the things that stood out to me as I was reading the parallel passages was how the Lord really doesn't tell us in the Gospels a lot about what it was like for our Lord. how easy it is to become familiar with these passages and to maybe take them for granted. But I found it interesting. If you want to know what the death of our Lord was like, you, you have to go somewhere other than the Gospels because the Lord in his wisdom has chosen to be very quiet about what the death of our Lord was like. There's a lot of movies, there's a lot of pictures that talk about the death of our Lord. 
you look at some very popular movies from a few years ago, and they were so graphic, I chose not to look at them. Because the scripture doesn't tell us that. But what the Lord does tell us in the scriptures opens our eyes to the great love of the Lord for us. I found it fascinating that Philip was sent by the Lord into the desert to meet with a man who believed in God but did not understand who the Lamb of God was. And he's in a chariot, and obviously he's not moving real fast because Philip could catch him. And he's reading out of Isaiah, and he has no idea what he's reading. You know, when you hear of someone who is suffering, it draws us in. If in the news we read of someone who is suffering, it causes us to stop and, and we have sympathy for that one. You know, as we think about all that Jessica has gone through, our, our hearts are drawn to hurt for her. But I find that Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about the suffering of Jesus Christ and what he really went through because Scripture doesn't want us to have sympathy for the Lord Jesus Christ. Sympathy wants us, God wants us to understand that Jesus Christ died specifically for us, for our sins. So as we, we're going to go back to the passage that Rory uh, read for us this morning in Isaiah chapter 53. And we're going to begin and look at the passage that this Ethiopian eunuch was reading. And I want us to see this morning what our Lord is like. If you want to really see what the suffering on the cross was like, you've either got to go to Psalm 22, where it tells you what Jesus was experiencing, or you have to go to Isaiah chapter 53. Sometimes, in fact, with some Jewish friends, they, the Jews struggle and they say, how do you know that this is talking about Jesus? You know, they, they're willing to agree that this will be the Messiah. But I find it fascinating, one, that Philip says, he's reading from Isaiah 53, and what did he do? He took Isaiah 53 and preached unto him Jesus. If you were to go to Matthew, if you were to go to John chapter 12, you would find Jesus quotes this passage about himself. Also, you will find in Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 53. And the apostle Paul then indexes that to Jesus. So because of that, I'm not going to spend time this morning trying to prove to you that Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of Jesus. Because Jesus says it, because the New Testament church believed it, because the Apostle Paul preached it, I'm going to assume that we will begin at this point and say, Isaiah 53 is a prophecy looking ahead, and it's about Jesus. 
Now, something to remember about Isaiah is the fact Isaiah wrote this 700 years before Jesus was born. So it's not that someone tried to go back and say, we're going to write this, knowing what took place, we're going to write this so that it looks like Jesus is the one. 700 years before Christ's birth, this was written about Jesus Christ. What I also want you to notice, we're going to look at two things this morning. We're going to, first of all, look at our Lord's suffering, and we're going to look at our Lord's satisfaction. And something just to think about today is that suffering and satisfaction always go together. Maybe some of you today are in suffering, and you're thinking, will I ever get out of this? Please understand that in God's wisdom, God always connects suffering and satisfaction. And when we try to get around the suffering and just go to the satisfaction, we're finding that we're trying to go around the very thing that God has designed. Think with me for just a moment in Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus. What did Satan try to get Jesus to do? To avoid the suffering and immediately go to the satisfaction. So what did he say? If you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these things, all the things that will be Christ's, but after the suffering. In fact, then Peter, what does he say? You know, he says, after you've suffered a while, make you perfect, make you complete. <laughs> so this morning, if maybe you're going through some suffering and you're struggling right now, could I just encourage you, look ahead. Our God is good. He's doing things in your life. He's doing things in my life. He has been doing things in your life. He has been doing things in my life, but he has not forgotten you. Satan is the one who wants you to think that you need to just avoid the suffering and go straight to the satisfaction. But you'll be missing the very things that you're going to need to enjoy the satisfaction. Let's begin. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning at verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? What you have to remember with this is, this is a continuation from chapter 52, and in verse 13, he says, Behold my servant, he shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Verse 14, and many were astonished at thee, were astonished at him. Now he's looking ahead and he says, his visage was so marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of man. Jesus Christ suffered more than anyone else has ever suffered. He totally understands what we have gone through. And then in verse 15 it says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Now the word sprinkle there, to be honest with you, I don't even get it when I'm reading that, except for the fact the word sprinkle there has the same root word as the word astonished. And I believe I'm doing a fair explanation when it says, many were astonished at thee, verse 14, so shall he astonish many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him. 
for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. What he's describing is he's saying, they will be astonished at who Jesus is. And then he comes to chapter 53 and he says, and who has believed our report? The prophet goes out, he tells this message, he says the Messiah is coming. This is what the Messiah is going to be like. And he says, and, who, and who's believed the report? You know, so often people say, well, if you just tell me, if you just show me, I'll believe. That's not what happens, is it? Remember in Jesus in Luke chapter 16, when Jesus is giving the parable and the rich man who is in, in great torment says, go tell my brothers. If they just, if someone from the dead would go back, surely they would listen. And he says, no, they've got the prophets. They've got the Old Testament. They have Isaiah. And if they won't listen to Isaiah, they won't listen. So he says, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? To whom is the arm of the Lord literally bared? It has the idea of when you take off your coat and you roll up your shirt sleeves. That's literally what he's describing here. And he says, look what God did. Who's believing this report? Who noticed what God did for us in the Old Testament? I can't remember which commentary it was. I want to say it's Talmadge, but I can't remember who made the statement, he said, you know, the Bible talks about God being able to just speak the world into existence. The Bible talks about in Psalms where creation is the handiwork of his fingers. Creation was nothing for God. But to redeem man, it was work. He rolled up his sleeves and he tackled what had, to be, what had to take place. Verse 2, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. As, as this living plant and as a root out of dry ground. What he's wanting us to picture, and because we're not as familiar with Israel history, he was of King David's line. King David's line had died out. There was no king. There was no monarchy in Israel at this point. Israel had dried up. And yet here was Jesus. He comes out of what seemingly is a dead pot. You know, the things that get left when I was in college, the, the plants that got left over Christmas vacation on the heater. And you come back and, and the, the ground in that pot is dry and cracked. And my poor little plant had just gone over. And it wasn't green anymore. It was just dry. The mental picture he wants us to see is he says, you've got to understand something. God is doing a miracle here. God is in the middle of what was a dry, dry ground. He has this young, tender plant that comes up. It talks about he hath no form nor comeliness when we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. And the thing there, some have said, well, obviously then it's saying that Jesus was ugly, that Jesus had no beauty in him. But that's not what it's saying. Jesus was the perfect man. We read in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, he had favor with God and man. Jesus was the ultimate. He was strong. But he had no 
finances. He had no houses. He had no wealth. He had nothing that people would be drawn to him. As, as I've told you in the past, you know, sometimes to my, to my shame, you know, there have been people that I have befriended because of what they had. Jesus said, even foxes have dens, but I don't have a place to lay my head. Jesus came, and he wasn't trying to attract people just by his wealth. He came as the poorest of poor. So there was no beauty that they should desire him. But notice verse 3, he was despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He is despised, and we esteemed him not. What are they saying? You know, we've, they looked at him, or Isaiah is saying they will look at him, and they will say, he's the problem. He's the reason why he's got all these problems that have come on him. They didn't value him. They, they looked at him, and they rejected him. And we didn't value him. And, but in verse 4, he then begins by saying, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He has now moved, and he wants us to recognize why did Jesus go through what he was going through? The Ethiopian eunuch was saying, why was this man suffering? Who's he talking about? Was he talking about himself? Was he talking about someone else? And Philip said, he's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And look what he went through. He went through what he went through, not because of who he was. He was perfect. He went through what he went through because he took my place. He had borne our, you see that in your text? He's borne our griefs. He's had our sorrows. The things he went through were not because of him, but because of us, because of me. And we didn't recognize that. We aren't willing to say he was the one who did it for me. We're saying it was his problem. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. This was the only way that we could be right with God. There had to be a sacrifice. He was the lamb. You remember in John chapter 1, when John looks and says, Behold, look right there. That's the lamb of God. But Isaiah is describing what he was going through. He says, it's with his stripes we are healed. The punishment he took, this is substitution. It's not in the text, but it helps us to understand someone who takes the place of another. Propitiation. Jesus in our place. Because of what I am. It's so easy to get so comfortable with what we are. We live in a wonderful country where we, we can dress and we can enjoy and we begin to think, I'm okay, I don't need a savior. 
that he was describing for us. No, it was because of my iniquity. It was because of my sin, because of my wrongdoing. He took my place. It ought to stir our hearts rather than being cold and say, yeah, I know that. I know that. Go on. Do something else. Give me something practical that today I can live by. The reason why we can do practical and live by that is because of our Savior. He took my place. And then he says this. He gives the general statement. Notice verse 6. And then he's going to give the personal statement. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's every one of us here this morning. We've all gone off of God's course. But notice now it's personal. We have turned everyone to his own way. It's easy to talk about the general, oh yeah, everyone's a sinner, until it comes down to the specific, no, I'm a sinner. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now he gives us a picture of what it was like on the cross, verse 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So opened he not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from the judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. He died for you and for me. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. I thought in verse 9 it's an interesting statement. He made his grave with the wicked. It's a plural. And the next one is singular. It's not a generic saying, yes, he died. It's saying specifically for us today, you know, he chose to die with the wicked. Was he because he came for the wicked. He, didn't, he came to save sinners. He came to save the sick, as we've been studying in Luke. Not those that are healthy. It's for those who recognize, no, I'm sin sick. So he made his grave. He took his place with the wicked, plural, and with the rich in his death, singular. Who is the rich man in his death that we, that we all recognize? Joseph of Arimathea. It was Joseph's grave. The prophecy is very specific. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. What I want you to notice is the first nine verses describe the suffering of the Savior. The last three verses are going to talk about the satisfaction of the Savior. Something that was fascinating to me, Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. The first three hours, the focus is all on what man did to him. And you notice the first three hours, his relationship with God is very good and strong. It's during those first three hours that he speaks to the people, that he, that he pray as the people are saying and taunting him, and he has the Pharisees that come by and are saying things to him, and he has literally the thieves on the cross that are saying things to him. It's at that point that he prays to the Father and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
but at noon. So from nine to noon is all, the, the gospels kind of cover all these various stories that are going on. But when you get to noon, from noon to three, if, if you're tracking with me, you already remember what happens at noon. The lights go out. The sun is blocked from shining. Some commentators will say God did that so that we would not see what Christ suffered. I believe them. But something that actually, as Caleb and I were talking uh, Thursday, I guess, and as Caleb and I were talking, we were talking about the kindness and the goodness of God that whether you're saved or unsaved today, you're going to walk out of this building and you're going to enjoy the sunshine and you're going to enjoy the warmth and you're going to enjoy all these good things from God. But there's coming a day when we will be, if we reject God, we will be separated from everything that's good because God is the author of all that's good. And if you reject God, you have rejected who he is, which means anything that's good is from God. James tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, which means what do we know that hell is like? What do we know that the lake of fire is like? There will be nothing there that is good because God's not there. Now notice what happens. At noon, we find God judging sin. And the lights go out. I don't know if this is right. But isn't it interesting when God turns his back on Jesus Christ, Jesus begins experiencing the lack of all that's good. Maybe at that point, it helps us to realize when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For me, you know, I've just always thought, well, it's the relationship, it's the whatever, God turns his back on him. But I don't think I will ever understand. In fact, I know I will not. Because of the grace of God, I will never experience what it's like to be totally abandoned by God. When there's nothing good, when I sense the absence of everything that's good, the wonderful love relationship and family relationships, not in hell. People who say, I'll go to hell because I'll be with my family, I'll be with my friends. No, you need to understand something, all that's gone. Family's a gift from God. Friendships are a gift from God. Light is a gift from God. There, you will be in burning agony in the lake of fire with no light. You will not see what's happening. You'll only feel. And Jesus, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We will never, and I hope for you, you will never experience what it's like to be totally forsaken by God. We're so flippant about this. And yet he writes for us, he says, because of the iniquity of my people, he was stricken. 
You see, he's wanting us to understand something. He wants us to understand the suffering of the Savior. Oh, next week, we're going to be so excited. You know, people sometimes wear new clothes that reminds us of the new life we have in Christ. It's not wrong to wear new clothes. It's not wrong for those different things. They all were symbolic. Now it's just another sale. Now it's just more stuff. But let's not lose sight of the fact that those aren't bad things. They remind us of things, of real truth. But here we find he suffered. Isaiah describes it not so graphic that we can't comprehend it, which, like I said, some of the movies are just beyond what I can even let my mind do. Because God didn't share those, but God did share this, and God said, we rejected him, he was despised, he was afflicted, he was rejected. Why did God do all those things to Jesus? Because when you realize Man did things, but when you look at it, man did not crucify Jesus Christ. God did. For me. But God did. And I started thinking through all these different things. I started thinking about living in a dry land that he lived in. No place of riches. Hatred and rejection. Sorrows and grief. Smitten of God and afflicted. Why was that? Because that's what I should have been experiencing. That's what I should experience. That's what you should experience. To be totally rejected by God. That's how awful sin is. Satan says it's a good thing. Satan says, do this, do this, do this. You need to understand, anything that's good came from God. Anything that Satan tells you to do that perverts what God has done is only ruining how good it could have been. So he says, I did this for you. He was bruised for our, literally pierced, um, he was wounded. He was pierced for our transgression. He was bruised, literally crushed for our iniquities. But what was that crushing? The crushing was not the physical side. The crushing was the spiritual side. He was crushed. But that's not the focus of the text. So we come to this and we realize, verse 9, he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Sinless. You say, how can that be? Could I just refer you to just a couple examples? You could go back and look at some others. What do we know? Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with this righteous man. Pilate washed his hands and says, this man is sinless. Even the thieves on the cross, remember the one guy says, quit saying that. You and I are here because we deserve this. But this man has done nothing wrong. There was no question, was Jesus sinless? Was Jesus without spot? Was Jesus there for any reason of his own? And the answer is no. But now look at verse 10 with me. 
Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why? He hath put him to grief. When he shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Notice what he says. After he had suffered, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, notice what was going to happen. It's going to have an effect. There will be many seed now. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. He will be resurrected. He will live beyond this death. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. Travail, that word is used of pregnancy. Which means what? There is always an expectation of as the woman is going through that travail, that suffering, there is always the expectation of the joy that's to follow. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Hebrews chapter, two, chapter 12 verse 2 reminds us, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down, resurrection, at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Isaiah is, is telling us there is a satisfaction that comes with the suffering he goes on to say, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. Sometimes we think, oh, there aren't going to be very many people that are saved. Narrows the gate. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. And we then begin to think that then a lot of people don't get saved because the wide way. No, what he's telling us is there's just one way to get to heaven. But there will be many that will be there. Don't lose heart. You keep sharing this good news of the gospel. And maybe for some of you today, can I just encourage you? You've known this, you've heard this, but you've not received this. Caleb, I just rejoice today for you. Because you've known this. I mean, you've grown up in a Christian home. You went to a church. You, you heard these things. And yet, he chose you know, that's the way it is for some of you. You've heard all these things, but you have not yet received. He goes on in verse 11. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. How did he do that? Therefore, he did that at the cross. He said, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. He shall come uh, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's how he bore their iniquities. And as Philip was talking to the eunuch... He, starting at that point, preached unto him Jesus. And what was the Ethiopian eunuch's response? He said, I believe. What hinders me from now being baptized by being identified as a believer? And then he asked him, he said, do you really believe this? And when he verified that he believed it, he says, 
Okay, you can be baptized. You know, today, as we, as we approach Easter, and like I said, I, I really wrestled. In fact, I went back and forth, and I, I actually was working on, I really wanted to do the triumphal entry today. And read about it, read about it. It was as if my soul was hard. And the Holy Spirit kept saying, I, want, I just want you to preach Jesus. I want you just to see Jesus this morning. I don't know in your heart today where you are. I hope today you'll see a loving God. A God who did no wrong. A God who was altogether lovely. A God who came and understands exactly the way you are because he lived here. I thought it was interesting, you know, if, if you read any mythology, you have Mount Olympus, you have all these different places, the gods are always distant from you. And the gods are always angry. They're throwing lightning bolts and they're doing different things at the people here on earth. But when God revealed himself to us, what did he do? He came down and he lived among us. And he understands our grief. In fact, he bore our grief. Would you receive Christ today? Would you like to receive that one? Maybe you've been disappointed in the past. Maybe people, maybe religious people, maybe people that claim to be Christians, maybe people that are Christians have really disappointed you. And because of that, you've kind of stood back and you've said, I'm going to hold back. I don't know. Is this really... Can everything they've been preaching really be true when you see how I've been treated or when you see how others have been treated? Can I just encourage you today? Look to Jesus. Look at how he lived. Look at what he did. Why would you reject him? Now it's your choice. You're always free to choose. There is no coercion. I... I wouldn't, I can't make you believe. But I would tell you, why would you not? I can tell you what he's been in my life. I didn't have to prove myself. He knew I was a sinner. I didn't have to say, God, look how good I am. You really want me. No, he looked in my life and he said, I see all your sin. I see all your wickedness. I see your deceitfulness. And I love you in spite of all of that. And I died for you. Would you not want to receive him today? You don't have to wait to be good enough. He took your place. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With your heads bowed, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit. Is God working in your heart today? Maybe you've had a number of reasons, and I'm not judging you for your reasons for why you've not received Christ up to this point. But if today, if you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you, if you say, I want that today, would you right now receive Christ? You do that very simply by, you need to know that you're a sinner. If you'd say, that's not a hard thing, I know. I've, I've, I've done things that are wrong. I violated God's laws. I'm selfish. I, and you can fill in the blank. If you'd say, I, I recognize I'm a sinner. 
I also recognize that Jesus Christ was not a sinner. He was God. He came. He died for me. The third thing is just, would you be willing to accept that gift? Many years ago now, he gave the gift of salvation. He offers it to you today, but you need to receive that. Right now, you can do that just there in your seat. If you understand, you say, okay. Would you right now just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I believe he came. The just one, the sinless one for me, a sinner. And I accept that gift today. Please forgive me of my sins. I accept his sacrifice in my place. He suffered for me. Thank you, God. If right now you would say, I just prayed. I just received Christ as my Savior. While no one else is looking around, would you just look up at me to where we make eye contact and I know when you're looking at me, you're saying, I received Christ just now. Is there anyone like that? I'm just going to just take a moment and look through a group. Dear Father, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage of scripture. And I pray, Father, that today as we, through this week, we think about your passion week, your suffering week. We think about all the things that took place that you've recorded for us in this last week of your earthly life before your death and resurrection. I pray that this week our hearts would be filled with joy. Our hearts would be filled with gratitude. And Father, if there are some who have not received Christ, that this week would be the week when we reject Satan's lies, when we see you for who you are, a holy, righteous, just God who is loving and gracious and that we would receive him today. Or to enjoy you this week more than we have been, that we wouldn't be distracted. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.